We're going to be in Revelation chapter 18. Now, in chapter 17, we took apart the harlot that was riding the beast and basically the spirit of Babylon. Much of the religion aspect through the ages and certainly a future fulfillment from where we're standing. And today we're going to get into the political and economic aspect of Babylon. And forgive me, but I was an ec- I couldn't really decide what I wanted to do in college. So after a few years to get a four-year degree, I kind of wrapped everything up and got myself an economics degree. But I did find it very interesting, the subject, so I'm going to use some of that background to give you a very brief economics lesson because we are in that portion of scripture where Babylon is a literal city. It's a symbol, but it's a city, and there's economic, social, and political aspects going on. So in this section, we're going to see the merge or the union with the world. And make no mistake, Satan still has control over this world. And if you merge with the world and you love the world and the things of it, the world is going to pay you back. It's going to feed your flesh. But it's awfully hard to merge with the world and then be a Christian at the same time. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 that if you merge with a harlot or a prostitute physically, don't you know you become one body with that harlot? But there's also a spiritual application, and we see that with the harlot and the beast, and we see that in a spiritual application, how we're supposed to be one with Christ, but if we merge with the world, we kind of pull, you can only be one with one or the other, right? So you sometimes find yourself double-minded if we try to merge with the world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, I'm just trying to set the stage here before I continue uh, into the chapter. But in 1 John 2, starting with verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I liken this to when Paul says to Timothy, you know, do not love money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So does that mean, and some of the cults preach that, well, we shouldn't be in the world, so we commit mass suicides. And you've seen that in cults. No, we're pilgrims in this world, but understanding that our real home is in heaven. So we behave ourselves accordingly when we have that perspective. So we're to be in the world. We're supposed to exchange money and buy things and buy food for our family, but we're not to love the world. Verse 16, for all that it is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You can't have it both ways. You either love what the Father loves, or your love is, is, is directed at Him, or you love the world. If you try to do both, it's double-minded. And the world is passing away. So if you put your eggs in that basket, that basket's not going to be around for much longer. And the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So there's the eternality there. Sadly, Christians, many Christians love the world, especially as we get into more affluent countries like ours. There's more of a loving of the world with, unfortunately, God's people. And tragically, there's a whole denomination that's built around love of the world, the whole prosperity gospel. Well, if you're a believer in God, all believers can have mansions and wealth in this world. Why should Satan have all the money? It's amazing how we justify our sin. You, you become part of that system, it's because you're, you have a greedy heart. It's the only reason why you would join some system like that. I want to be rich. And now God is justifying me being rich. So, a little key here before we get into the first verse is 
There's going to be a lot of details here. Don't get so engrossed in the details that you forget the concept that's being portrayed here. And don't get so caught in the symbolism or the concept that you miss some of the finer details. And as long as we have all that, we can, we can start going here. Uh, and one last point is that if, you, if you're here for the first time studying this Babylon system, uh, two and three weeks ago, we, we, we gave a foundation of Babylon. So if you're a little bit confused and you haven't gotten those sermons, you can go online and download them for free and just kind of get yourself a foundation of what we're talking about today. Okay, chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, so there's a chronological order here, this happens next, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So in verse 1, we see that the earth is illuminated with this unnamed angel's glory. Now there's different opinions on who this angel is. Many suspect it's a high order of angel because it's very unusual for an angel's glory to illuminate the earth. I mean, that's usually reserved for God. So much so that some speculate that this angel, actually the word in Greek, angelos, which strictly means messenger, might be Christ. I can offer another solution. If you remember Exodus 34 when Moses was in the presence of God and he spent hours with God, communing and fellowshipping and receiving instructions. When he came down to see the children of Israel, the children of Israel kind of were freaked out by his appearance because his face glowed. It shone. I don't think he realized it, but it showed to the children of Israel that he was in the presence of God, and he actually started to wear a veil so they wouldn't be so distracted by his appearance. The question is, what emanates from us? What reflects off of us? Hopefully good things. Hopefully not anger, sarcasm, inappropriate sarcasm, a victim complex, complaining. Because the goal is to reflect God's light as a result of being in God's presence. And I've, you know, I believe the Lord gave it to me. I used the example of the moon. The moon, if you look at pictures of the moon, it's ugly. It's like a big rock with a bunch of craters. It's just ugly. It's kind of... You know, we've come to know it as our moon, but it's not really attractive. But on a dark night in my yard, I live in a very rural area, when there's a full moon, it casts a beautiful blue hue over my yard. And when I look up, it's beautiful. But why? Because the moon doesn't have any luminosity of, an, of itself. It actually is reflecting the glory of the sun. So you see where I'm going with this. So we, like the moon, when we're in God's presence, people will notice that we're with God. There's something different, different about you. How do those things happen in your life and you're able to hold up so well? What is it? Let me know your secret. You're reflecting the luminosity of God's glory. Verse 2. We see Babylon started as demonic and it ended fully infested with demonic entities. In chapter 17, we saw more religious Babylon and here we see a, chapter 18, a political and economic system. Still wicked. Verse 3, three groups are mentioned here, nations, kings, and merchants. They've all bought into this system to become wealthy. Number one, nations. 
well, we can understand that is, now let's take those days, come forward 2,000 years, and apply those terms, those Greek words, to what's going on today, because this is a yet future fulfillment from where we're standing. The nations, national leaders, kings, rulers. Well, we do have some kings left in the world, but for the most part, you have presidents and parliaments and career politicians. And merchants, big business, maybe big CEOs. Many, not all, have sold their souls to Babylon and in turn, they're taken care of for life. And, you know, it's... I believe that, that Satan has his best demons in especially U.S. government. Because believe it or not, you hear different things. The United States, if you can control the United States, you can control a good part of the world. So if this is Satan's playground... Don't be surprised if he has his best demons in Washington, D.C. You've got the judiciary there, you've got the executive branch, and you've got the legislative branch. I'm sure he's got his best people in Washington, D.C. And a lot of folks that come in may be honest in politics. If they're there long enough, they're either jaded, or if they had some type of faith, maybe they're not walking strong anymore. I think there's definitely a spiritual thing going on over there, and we see it today. Verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So God gives this call to come out. He did the same thing to the antediluvian world, which basically was the world before the flood of Noah. Noah preached for, what, 100 years? The only ones who got saved was his family. Nobody else was concerned, but God loved them enough to get them the message of hope and of repentance. Most of them, or pretty much almost all of them, didn't heed it. If you look at Sodom, before God destroyed Sodom, Abraham said, Lord, if there's 50 righteous, would you spare the city? Absolutely. Well, what about 40? Sure. It kind of was like a, a let's make a deal. And Abraham <laughs> went all the way down to 20. Okay, you got it. 20 people and I won't destroy the city. But you know what God did? He was even more merciful. The only ones that were righteous, there was only four of them. He went all the way down to four on his own, removed them, and then destroyed the city. That's the way our God works. God always loves to the very end. And 2 Peter uh, 3.9 tells us that the reason why he's so patient with the wicked world and long-suffering is his desire is that all mankind would be saved. That's the heart of our Father. God always warns lovingly prior to judgment. And we've seen that all through Revelation. We're, we're pretty much at the end. We have a few more chapters to go. But this is the theme. This is his M.O., so to speak. Now, what I want you to notice is that he says, God says this, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her plagues and in her sins. God wouldn't command his people to come out if they weren't actively involved in this wicked system. I should set up a, set up a, a red flag. This call is a, for a specific time period, but it's also a timeless call to God's people. Many Christians today are not satisfied with what God provides. Instead, they have longing, lustful eyes for what the world has too. We talked about Sodom. Lot, Lot his wife, his daughters come out of the city. The angel specifically warns them, do not look back at the city. Okay, if an angel said something to me, I would listen to him. So three of them don't look back, and his wife stops, turns around, looks back, she becomes a pillar of salt. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, and that damned them. 
What a mean God, huh? Well, of course, that means you haven't studied the Bible. It wasn't that she tripped and fell and looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife had longing, lustful eyes for that city. Well, okay, I know God's going to provide me safety and I'm going, I'm I'm going. I know I'm a little behind, I'll catch up. But the, the nightlife, the entertainment, the shopping sprees, I just, right? She, you know, she becomes a pillar of salt because her eyes were longing and lustful for the things of the world. She was a double-minded, and the double-minded are unstable in all their ways. This is a good lesson today. Christians get caught up in all kinds of worldly pursuits and ideas. Similar scriptures, James 1 says, you want to know what pure religion is? And everybody quotes, oh, take care of the widows and orphans. In that same verse, it says, and be unstained, unspotted by the world. It's a command. Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus says to the churches to repent of their worldliness. And let me just put the icing on the cake. In Numbers 22, Balaam, prophet of God, had regular communion. Imagine that. Who wouldn't die for that, right? He had regular fellowship with God. But he runs into a king, an earthly king, Balak of Moab. And he promises him riches if he can just get God to do something against what his original plan was. And believe me, Balaam tried really hard. And Balaam actually came up with a few of his good ideas to destroy the children of Israel from God himself because of their own sin. So here's a man, Balaam, who was a prophet of God, walked with God, but it wasn't enough. He wanted the riches of what the world had to offer, and he died an awful death because of it. Gehazi, we have all kinds of examples in the scripture. Verse 6. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed for her double. In the measure that she has glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen. I am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord who judges her. She, as a city, boasts that she's a queen and she won't see sorrow. She's blinded to herself and she keeps her subjects blinded also. And that's the amazing thing about sin. It blinds. There's another really interesting word. When you're in sin, especially as a believer and you know the scripture, and then you fall into sin and a brother or sister tries to say, what are you doing? Come back. You're going down the wrong road. You know what's amazing? The human mind, it has the ability to justify Well, I don't want to feel those pangs. I don't want to hear the Holy Spirit. So you justify it. Well, this is a special situation. And God loves me. He doesn't want God to be, for me to be happy. I've served God for 20 years. It's, It's just a little thing. He'll forgive me for it. We start to justify. That's what the human mind does for safety and security. So she's blinded. Her subjects are blinded. Just like in Jerusalem, though, when uh, 586 B.C., when the Babylonians came and, and took down the wall of Jerusalem and attacked the city and slaughtered a great many, uh, God told the Jews through his prophets, especially Jeremiah, don't resist the Chaldeans, submit to them. This is your punishment. If you resist them and they have to come in, it's going to be worse for you. And it was worse for them. Understanding that God's judgment will be sure and final, regardless of delusions. All those people who say, well... A loving God wouldn't send anybody to hell. My God wouldn't. Mm -mm. There's only one God. And he doesn't capitulate to our whims. His justice will be sure and it will be final. Now I'm just going to play around with Babylon a little bit um, as a literal city. 
we'll just talk a little bit about the city. In Jeremiah 50 through 52, in Isaiah 44 through 48, in the Old Testament, you can check that out at another time, it speaks of Babylon, the actual existence of Babylon. Well, where's Babylon today, Pastor Joe? Well, if you go over to Iraq and you go to Baghdad, which is the capital, and you travel 45 miles due south, you will run into Babylon. Yes. You will run into the walls. You will run into some of the ruins. Amazing. After thousands of years, a lot of it is preserved. Very impressive stuff. So that's where, that's where Babylon is today. Now, Isaiah 13 and Jeremiah 51 speak of Babylon's complete desolation to never be inhabited again. And there's some debate by commentators whether uh, these scriptures speak of the fall well, they do speak of the ruin and desolation of Babylon, but the question is, today is she fallen or is she destroyed? You could actually go to Iraq today and go through tourist attractions, and they'll show you Babylon, I'm sure, for a price. So, I don't know, is it inhabited? Maybe quasi? So that's the question. In 516 BC, after the Babylonians were in power, the Medes and the Persians got together and they conquered Babylon, but did they make her desolate is the question. Or is this a future fulfillment by the Medes, which would be northern Iran? It's funny how when you take the scripture and you take the maps of the Bible and put it overlay a modern map, it becomes very interesting because Iran and Iraq are going to be interesting players in end times prophecy. If Zechariah 11 and Micah 5, we've covered this before when we spoke about the Antichrist, if they refer to him as an Assyrian, well, that's the area in northern Iraq covers northern Iraq, some of the Assyrians went into Turkey and surrounding areas they assimilated into the cultures. Then it would be plausible that if the Antichrist is an Assyrian, which many Bible scholars believe, then maybe he will rebuild Babylon in Iraq to be his headquarters. Now, that's not uncommon or that's not far-fetched because before the Americans and the Europeans came in, Saddam Hussein had a big building project. He was putting billions of dollars into rebuilding Babylon. Alexander the Great, he died a very young age, but his idea was to go back to Babylon and rebuild it. And there's many conquerors over the years whose hearts have been with Babylon. It's this, this, this draw, it's, like it has a, it's got like a big magnet that draws these, these lustful uh, megalomaniac type leaders into rebuilding it. You know, it's like a demonic spirit calling those folks back to rebuild it. So it's really not out of the realm of possibility. Now, if you talk about modern technology, resources, money, and labor, right, any city can be built in a matter of a few months. I mean, the Romans did it, the, the Egyptians used slave labor, but we have incredible earth-moving equipment that we've talked about the, the uh, temple, I believe, in Revelation chapter 11. So why not the rebuilding of Babylon? Now, again, this could be a pattern of prophecy. So you see Iran and Iraq involved here. Uh, 516 BC was the Medo-Persian destruction of Babylon in the 1980s. Remember the eight-year Iran and Iraq war? Okay, pretty bloody. And that's just some of it. I mean, it was just so many struggles between these two countries. And certainly there'll be a future fulfillment. Now, to make it more interesting, the way the... The, and we're going to see this. They look at Babylon. They see that in an hour it was destroyed. The smoke is rising. Nobody wants to go near it. Well, that could in, indicate a nuclear strike, couldn't it? If you've been following the news, Iran pretty much has the capabilities now. It's, it's out of the bag. So that's, that's not far-fetched. You know, 
This is something that we can use conjecture. Some people will believe that after 9-11, you heard a lot of people, and it's kind of embarrassing as Christians. I didn't say it. <laughs> but when after the Twin Towers got hit, Babylon has fallen, Babylon has fallen. I don't believe New York City is Babylon. And it didn't destroy New York City. A lot of people died. It was an awful thing, but it didn't stop New York City. So I reject that. I think that might be a little bit of Western arrogance. Uh, some believe that Rome could be Babylon. And listen, I'm open to any of those things. Rome may be certainly a big player in end times prophecy. So I'm not going to say this is, this is under the realm of Joe's idea, but understand it's not strictly what God is going to have in mind. It's just some conjecture that we can have fun with. Okay, so let's move on from that. Verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication, now first group, the kings, pay attention to this, and live luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Second group, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Now look at the detail in their products. Verse 12, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. I'm going to come back to that. The point I want to make with this is it's so detailed. Those who just allegorize everything in Revelation, it's kind of hard to allegorize this where God gives through the Holy Spirit specific items. I believe there's 28 of them, if you, if you, uh, 28 types of groups if you tally them up. And the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. And you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. In every third group, shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. <clears throat> so Babylon is destroyed, and three groups are distressed at this event. And again, let's bring this to 2009 or a future fulfillment number one the kings okay there are some monarchies left but the rest of the country is ruled by political leaders so you have your political leaders two merchants the greek word is emporoi where we get the word emporium from these are your bankers your ceos your big business three shipmasters shipping the rest of commerce and trade now, what's interesting is that the mark of the beast will tie all these things together because no man can buy or sell without the mark and it's instituted by a political system. So you have this nice little marriage between the political leaders, big business, the bankers, the shipping, and the commerce. Hmm, what does that sound like? 
Three groups in collusion in the last days, and they've all become wealthy, bowing down to this socialist cartel type of system. I'm just going to go do a little homework here. I mean, again, let's, let's look at things globally, not just from the United States. Some of you I know have traveled to Europe, and Europe is becoming largely socialist, and there's reasons for that. Let me read to you the definition out of the dictionary, not my definition. Webster's Collegiate, Collegiate Dictionary says this, socialism, any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods, businesses, a system of society or group living in which there is no private property. Recently, eminent domain was upheld in our Supreme Court. Okay? So basically, uh, uh, if a township wants your land, they can say, well, we're taking it. We've got to make a highway. Find somewhere else to live. Okay? That's been upheld by our courts. A system or condition of society in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. A stage of society in Marxist theory transition between capitalism and communism and distinguished by unequal distribution of goods and pay according to work done. This is a government-weaned and a government-controlled society, and it must be a precursor to the New World Order, the One World Government. Why? Europe's already looking at us and saying, listen, we're socialists. You guys are in the Dark Ages. This, Europe, I've talked to missionaries from Europe, and they say Europe's dead when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to God. They're turning atheist, and they're looking at us like we're archaic and in the Dark Ages. When are you guys going to come up and get with the program? So there's a lot of interesting things going on in our world. Freedom will be curtailed and society dumbed down by a new world order type of government. Let's look at a little bit about United States history, and I'm not going to take too much time on this. If you know your history, you look at the Great Depression, you look at some of the stock market crashes, major crises birth more government controls, okay? We are moving towards a goal, a world goal. We have to, in a worldly sense. In 1913, the Federal Reserve Act was, was signed into law, and President Woodrow Wilson later mused, I've unwittingly ruined my country and given power to a few men. President Andrew Jackson and President Harry Truman both said, you could, you could use a search engine on some of their quotes, I get this right out of their quotes. Said, if people of the United States knew how bank and the monetary system worked, there would be a revolution by morning. Most of us don't know. We're too busy chasing our tails in life, and, you know, government's doing what it's doing. Thomas Jefferson said, we will be in great trouble when government falls into the hands of lending institutions and moneyed corporations. So there's a few quotes there. If you look at much of our federal income tax, it goes to pay interest on foreign loans. Um, our debt is bought by other countries. Recently, uh, Hillary Clinton, another article, went to China and asked China to please buy more of our debt. China is buying hundreds and billions of dollars of our debt. Okay? So it frees up money for us and eventually we have to pay them back. Imagine what the interest is on $100 billion. Luo Ping, the director general of China's Bank Regulatory Commission, said, quote, we hate you. We know the dollar is going to depreciate, but there's nothing we can do because we're intertwined with you. See how the world community is so close? So China is in a position where they either buy more of our debt, and if we go under, they're going to really be hurt because they, they have our debt and we can't pay them back, or they're hoping that we recover so they, we can pay them back 
the debt that we owe them. This is all, again, something you can find out pretty easily. 401ks and pensions and housing values have all plummeted overnight over the last year. Where did that money go? Where did that money go, guys? Pensions, 401ks, your retirement, where'd it go? Does money just disappear? In economics, there's a few stages of money. Number one, in the old days, I had a sheep, you had a cow. We kind of would do the barter thing and uh, you know, it would work out. Later on, you would use, and this is how the evolution, so to speak, of the money system. You would take precious metals and mint them. And that had value to it, so you could exchange minted money. Then you would take monies of maybe not precious metals or paper, but they were backed by metals. The United States had that for a while. We had a bimetallic system, silver and gold. In 1971, we eradicated that. Then you have the last stage, which is the most dangerous. It's called fiat money. I like to call it monopoly money. The money that's in your wallet is worth nothing. It's worth maybe a, a quarter of a, of a cent. But it's backed by the federal government. With fiat money, now you can just mass-produce money because there's no standard, a metallic standard, you could just make all this money. And the Federal Reserve can contract and expand the money supply at will, call in loans to banks, okay, which can be, become very dangerous. It could completely destroy an economy. So this is what we're dealing with. This is why your money disappears, because it's not worth anything. Now, there is good news to this. <laughs> I don't want to send you out of here all depressed, okay? Once I start reading God's Word, you'll be happy. Okay, what I'm not advocating is that we all take up arms and storm Washington, D.C. Okay, I work for the government. <laughs> Sorry. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world to Pilate. If it was, my servants would fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. What happened last year and this year alone, in our country especially, I believe, is definitely the fault of both political parties. They've all sold us out. And that alone should drive you into the arms of Jesus. Okay, this is where I'm funneling you. Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says this. Meditate on this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Or the economy changes and then you lose it all. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And for the good news, because you can't fight City Hall. People have tried it. It really doesn't work. You can't fight the government. You know, Don't bother. They're always going to win. This is Satan's playground. But Daniel, I'm going to take you back to the book of Daniel, a few verses. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, when he took over the known world, including Israel, uh, Daniel was taken. He was in the king's court. He was a prophet of God. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that disturbed him. And he asked all his astrologers and soothsayers to interpret the dream. But the trick was, he wasn't even going to tell them what he dreamed. He wanted them, if they really knew what they were doing, to know his dream and then interpret it. He was going to have them all killed because none of them could do it. So Daniel said, don't kill anybody. Let me seek my God. He's the God of everything. And Daniel did. So Nebuchadnezzar's dream was this weird dream about this statue. And it had the head of gold, which represented the Babylonian kingdom, the chest of arms and arms of silver, which represented in 516 BC, the Medes and Persians getting together and taking over the known world, the belly and the thighs of bronze, Alexander the Great, 333 BC, and then the legs and feet of iron and the toes of iron mixed with clay. The Roman Empire of the two legs and the, the ten toes iron mixed with clay and as a whole uh, ten nation revived. It's, it's our future. It's a new empire, the ten nation federation European that's going to arise uh, from the old Roman Empire. 
But what was really disturbing to him was that there was a rock that came and smashed the statue and ground it to pieces. Let me read it to you. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut, cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff, pulverized. From the summer threshing floors, the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That stone is Christ. When he comes, he will smite the nations. There will be a time where Christ will come back. He will stop the nonsense, so to speak. He will subdue the nations. The wicked will be punished. And Christ will fill the earth. He will rule the earth for a thousand years. And that's the good news. We can look at all Europe and, and all these different governments, our government, but understand that there's a day that Christ will come back and he'll, he's the one who's going to rule. There's going to be no question about it. That's the good news. So three groups stand at a distance. They won't come near burning Babylon. Now, some scholars say that there's a lot of smoke. They stand far away. It could be a picture of a radioactivity, a mushroom cloud. Um, it, it's just one city is destroyed in one hour. So they speculate that it could be a nuclear, a limited nuclear exchange going on. Um, it certainly could be that, but it also could be that God says, you know what, time's up. And he sends his own catastrophe like he's done before. Either way, this system, this Babylon system will come to an end. Verse 11 and 12, again, the uh, detailing of the merchandise, 28 items. It's something that we can't allegorize. There's definitely commerce happening in this city. And in verse 13, what's interesting is one of the things that's traded is the bodies and the souls of men. The bodies and the souls of men. That tells me that in our future, in our enlightened humanistic worldview, there's still slavery. That's shocking to us because we've done the right thing and eliminated it a long time ago. But today, slavery still goes on. Ask Eric back there. Talk to the missionaries when they come in. Okay? We live in our own little bubble, but there's some pretty horrific things that go on across our shores. So men and women will still be being traded as commodities. And the minds, bodies and souls of men. The word for soul in the Greek, it's conjugated here, psukos, psyche, psychology. Enslaving the minds. So not only will people be taken against their will, but this government, remember the big lie will be produced. People will buy into the lie. The Antichrist will deceive. The false prophet will prop up this, this fool so that the world looks at him and thinks he's the Messiah to the world. All right? So the minds will be distracted, a form of mind control. And in verse 14, it says that the fruit that you've longed for for so long has gone from you. My question is, what fruit do we long for as God's people? Now, I lived a life... BC before being a Christian and then I've lived a life as a Christian and I would never go back to my old life But the fruit that I looked for back then was fruit that just fed my flesh Whatever could please Joe DeProsmo. That was the fruit that I was picking But what type of fruit do we look for today? I had a woman come to me a few weeks ago and say from our fellowship. I'm praying about getting into missions That's so exciting to me. That's the fruit that I'm looking for and you know what do we do as Christians when it comes to picking fruit? 
See, God has a tree and there's fruit. And you can pick the fruit of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's good fruit. Jesus Christ leads to salvation, which leads to everlasting life, which leads to uh, calmness and trust in the midst of storms, which leads to stability and a stable foundation. But you know what happens sometimes? Is God's people, they did it in the Old Testament, and we do it today. There's another tree, the tree of Babylon, and we say, I really like that fruit, but I'm, I'm being distracted. This fruit, popularity, this fruit, living a comfortable life, this fruit, you know, no persecution, this fruit, you see? So there's two types of trees. The same thing happened in the Garden of Eden, don't you think? Adam and Eve, he sets them up, and probably God asked them, I'm taking liberties here, what do you think of the weather? Oh, it's great. What do you think of the animals? They're all pretty friendly. Oh, this is really neat. It's like a big petting zoo. You know, what do you think of each other? Oh, she's beautiful. He's a stud, you know? Okay, well, look, I have kiwis and strawberries and avocados and melons and strawberries and cherries and oh my, right? The whole thing. And I don't know if he had all that, but this is good fruit. And God said, listen, all I ask you to do is, you, you happy, you satisfied? Yeah. Is there anything else I could do for you? No, this is great. There's a tree over there. It's the knowledge of good and evil. Just don't eat of that fruit. Because if you do, your eyes will be opened. Ignorance won't be bliss anymore. Um, you'll, and the day you eat of that fruit, you'll die. And really, you'll be offending me greatly and rebelling against me and sinning against me. Father, we would never do that. He leaves. What happens? They, they're eating of this fruit. But that fruit looks good too. Man, don't tell me we don't do that today. We're always looking at what somebody else has on their plate, what somebody else is wearing, what somebody else is driving. Are we any different? We can't sit here and say that we are. So what did Adam and Eve do? You know, the, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say, come on, do you really believe? Look, he made you, you're beautiful, your husband's beautiful, he loves you, you're his children. Do you really think that he would kill you? Do you really think you're going to die? You know, maybe he's holding out on you a little bit. Try this. Oh, it does look good. <sighs> she takes a bite. Adam, baby, what did you just do? Adam, you're always asking questions. Just take a bite and shut up. <laughs> so he takes a bite, and we know the story. Do we want to pick God's fruit, or do we want to pick the fruit of Babylon? And this goes out to the worldly, the greedy, the carnal, the materialistic Christian. Haven't we learned anything from the last year? Anything. I mean, we should want Christ anyway. But even more so, the, 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 the instability. Of, listen, I have a pension too. Everyone is affected by this. It's everybody. It should drive us into the arms of Jesus. It really should. But unfortunately, Jesus said 2,000 years ago to get off the fence. You know, if Jesus was here today, he'd say the same thing. Get off the fence. Which world do you want to be a part of? Verse 18 and 19. Three groups are completely destroyed. We covered them. They mourned over the system. They were inconsolable. It was amazing. They see God's judgment, and instead of repenting or being concerned about, hey, there's a lot of people that must have died in that explosion, all they could think about is their money-making schemes. They don't care about anybody else. Where you put your treasures, your heart will follow. I had a friend when years ago, and I don't remember which market instability. Um, this was even... When I just got out of college, I was working at a place, and this guy always came in with a suit, always looked really good, and the, the, the place I worked for was, you know, not a great place, and I just, he was interesting to me, so I would talk to him. 
I said, where'd you work before this? He said, I used to work on Wall Street. I said, what are you doing here? You know, we're making minimum wage. He said, let me tell you something. My first week when I was in training and there was instability in the market, my training officer pushed me aside. I didn't know what he was doing. A man jumped out the window. His first week of being on the floor because the market was unstable and his treasure was in his money. And you know what's sad? He thought very little about his life. Well, if I have no money, there's nothing left of me. Where you put your treasures, your heart will follow. If it's in stuff, then your life is going to be ruled like a ticker tape by stuff, the graphs, up and down. You're not going to care about your life, and you're certainly not going to care about anybody else's life. There's already a bunch of suicides now because of, of what's going on. People are losing their personal fortunes, and they're killing themselves because their lives to them aren't, aren't worth much. Verse 20, last few verses, and we'll wrap it up. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon will be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. And no craftsman or the craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. And the light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who were slain on the earth. So it is an emphatic response. You see one group distraught, crying over this great money-making city. Trade is gone. The money is gone. The savings are gone. Everything's gone. Deathly silence in Babylon, but in heaven, they're rejoicing. God is saying, this is a good thing. So what are we relying on? Our talents, our tongue, our wealth, our status, our education. We're in the Princeton area, so you know, education is very important. Listen, I got a four-year degree from a good school. It doesn't make me any better than any of you. It really doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. It's a piece of paper. It's not eternal. I don't say that we shouldn't get educated and better ourselves, but let's put it in perspective. Some people use it so they can look down on others. Okay, I'm not impressed by people's letters after their names. Our appearance, our stuff, our country's leaders, come on. Are we, do we really think that any one man, I don't care who he is, which president, is going to change the world so much that he's going to make our lives great? And if he does, maybe we're relying too much on Babylon. So what are we relying on? And verse 23, sorcery. One of my favorite words in the Bible, the Greek word is pharmakia, where we get pharmacy from. Sorcery. It was a way in the Old Testament where whenever you worship demonic entities, you would take a mind-altering drug. That's where pharmakia comes from. They would, um, because the mind-altering drug would take away your natural um, feelings of right and wrong, your conscience, so to speak. You see people who are doing drugs and then murder or whatever, when they're cleaned up and they go to court, a lot of them are distraught that they, they committed that crime because the drugs completely changed their mind and allowed demonic entities to work within them and do heinous things. So pharmakia. But it doesn't stop with drugs. We could have our own addictions. You ever hear of adrenaline junkies? People that just go around looking for a high. Well, they're just changing the chemicals in their brains. Whatever they do, it's for a high because it feels good. All right? Whatever gets your juices flowing that's greater than God is your pharmakia. 
These things were designed to deceive and control, and they're lies, they're lies to distract you from what's right so that you can buy into this system. I'm just going to leave you with this. We'll show and tell here. I have a dollar bill, <laughs> and this is neat. I actually keep it, you know, somebody gave it to me uh, years ago when I was working, and I put my dollar bill in and took this one because I've never seen it before. It says, the United States of America, one dollar in silver, payable to the bearer on demand. This is a silver certificate. We used to have these until we went to fiat money. This says, no silver, no gold. It just says, Federal Reserve note. Trust us, as long as we're solvent, this will be worth something. A man will kill another man made in God's image for this piece of paper. Maybe if there's a few more zeros, he might. A woman will sell her body to a perfect stranger for this piece of money. Right now, at the south of our border, humans are being trafficked and sold for this piece of paper. And too many Christians will compromise their faith and their values for this piece of paper. Isn't it amazing how powerful Babylon is? Let's put this in perspective. I'll read a few quick verses from Ecclesiastes, and then that'll be the end of it. Ecclesiastes uh, 2, starting with verse 4. Arguably the most powerful, richest man who ever lived. If you compare him to the Donald Trumps and the George Soros's of today, this guy still had it all. Let me read to you what the richest, most powerful man in the world said about his wealth at the end of his life, what he came to the conclusion about. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 4. Solomon said, and he goes on for, for, for the whole book, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers. You know, I need some entertainment. The delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Can anybody say that today? Anything you see, you want, you got it. That's the way this man lived as the king of Israel. He, I think it ruined him. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this has... This was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, is the most important part, all was vanity, come to nothing, and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Riches destroyed him. Is it really worth it? If you have everything that your eyes desired and the doctor tells you you have a month to live, does it really mean anything? If you have everything in the world and, and nothing held back from your eyes and your children are in an unfortunate accident and they die and you have nobody to leave it to, does money really mean anything? Does it really mean anything? From Genesis to Revelation, God continues to tell his people to separate themselves from the world and from the wooing of the Babylonian system. And this concludes the study on Babylon, spiritual, political, and economic. Have we done that ourselves? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that...